Hello, guys. Hi. Hello. Hi, is everyone? Um, before we start, I just want to say a massive thank you to BAFTA for setting this chat up, and thank you to Square Enix for all their help. Um, I'm Eve Wilson, and we're here today to celebrate this guy, <laughs> Gonzalo Martin. And this guy. <laughs> this guy and this guy, but this guy is uh, Gonzalo Martin, of course, who won in the brand new category of performer in a leading role in this year's BAFTA Games Award uh, for your portrayal of Sean Diaz in Life is Strange 2. And of course, we're celebrating this guy too, uh, Phil Bach, who worked with Gonzalo on the role because you are an amazing voiceover director. I mean, your guys' collaboration led to an award-winning performance. So we're here to chat about that today. Hi, are you guys? Good. Thank you. Good, good. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, of course. Um, so we're going to, well, I'm going to just sort of hog all the questions for a little while, but we're also going to have a Q&A at the end, which everyone watching, um, get your questions in right now. There's a little button just down there uh, for the Q&A and um, about, let's say, 10 minutes before the end, um, we'll have a look and shout out uh, some of our fave ones. So oh. with all that, high oh, yep. If I can, I, I want to say thank you real quick to some people too. Yeah. Uh, definitely Sam and Lewis and all of BAFTA for setting up. Michelle, Raul, John yes. Lou, Christian, Luke, Matthias, Steve, Masha, Carla, and the rest of the amazing team that don't not for allowing me to direct the performances for the game and helping to bring this experience to life. I uh, want to thank the rest of the cast who was also amazing, uh, especially Roman George. I also want to thank Peter, Jonathan, and Alejandro uh, and everybody at Square Enix Marketing uh, for everything they've done over the years. And I definitely want to also thank uh, you, Eva, and Johnny, for all all the fandom you have brought. <laughs> I've been watching you guys since the start, so thank you. Well, yeah. we've been watching you guys too, and it has been entirely our pleasure. Um, Gonzalo, do you want to thank anybody before we get started as well? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I feel terrible because I'm not that good with names, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I had to write them all I, down. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to thank everybody from the creators of the game to the entire cast, to Sam and Lewis and you that, you know, are hosting this amazing event. And um, also, most importantly, the, all the fans that played and, you know, gave, gave the game an opportunity and I liked it. Awesome. I'm honestly so excited to, I mean, like we've kind of chatted before and you guys know I'm a massive fan of the game. Um, and I just, yeah, I love hearing all your stories from uh, the development process. Um, and we're going to go right through that today. Um, so I guess she'll be, re she'll be rewind a little bit and go right back to the start. Gonzalo, can I ask, like, how, how did you sort of get into acting? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, well, I've always been into acting, like I always, you know, like to express myself and I was always a part of the, like the drama club in school. Um, but that was pretty much it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but I never thought of it as a career because I thought that you had to, you know, be born here in, in the United States, in LA, in order to, you know, have any shot. So I, you know, I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't until I was 18 where I had like a big career change where I ended up deciding to, you know, come out here to LA and, and give it a shot. Awesome. And Phil, you've, um, you've had so many roles across the industry. You're a director as well as a voiceover director, but it would be fair to say that you've kind of, you have a, a specialty in voiceover specifically. How, how did you end up doing what you do? Uh, it's been a long, crazy road. Uh, I've always known that I wanted to, to direct since a very young age. Um, and I ended up going to college, trying to make an independent feature film, which I made with a bunch of really great people 
Arthur DeGeorge, Rob Moss, Valensky, Sylvain out of Florida. Uh, we made our first feature for 3,800 bucks. And then we, uh, whenever I came out to LA, I also have like a stand-up comedy background. I used to get in trouble in school a lot for being the jokester, for doing voices. <laughs> and, uh, and I also play a crap ton of games. I own like 300 games for the PS3 alone. Nice. Um, and a friend of mine, Timothy Covison, ended up giving me a shot because I think he knew that I could direct and uh, we're like-minded people. And he ended up allowing me to get a shot um, uh, behind the wheel. And it, it, w it took a while before people eventually started knowing like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Because when you start, you got to be very careful about like not pushing too hard into things. So it, it's been a long road. Awesome. So you, yeah. kind of, you kind of had a little bit of an eye into getting into games to begin with? Uh, a little bit. Uh, a, a little bit. I think the thing is like there's film and television that which is something I've always wanted to be a part of, you know, as a director. Uh, and I still would really love to be able to make a, a film uh, at a renowned motion picture, you know, television level. Um, but video games, the things that you get to do in video games are almost what you get to do. Like the horror film genre is great because you get to experiment with things that you normally wouldn't be able to experiment with. And I think that video games are also somewhat a similar platform. The fact that you can do things that you wouldn't normally do. Like if you wanted to be a piece of cereal and, the, and I always joke like the cereal box is like falling over and you're trying to like save yourself from not being the one that gets eaten. You can do that in the game. Like you can do like anything you want. There's so many things to explore. And, and now games uh, have gotten to a point where the, they're at the same, if not almost at times, far surpass film and television yeah. uh, on some levels. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Gonzalo, like you, I mean, you kind of went from, I would say like a fledgling voiceover actor to a BAFTA winner, kind of like in one role. That's pretty incredible. Did you ever think you were going to get into games acting? I mean, how did you, how did you find yourself no, here? No, literally like it was a very big surprise uh, for me. I wasn't even familiar, you know, with, with the gaming world. I grew up, you know, not, I, I wasn't allowed to play video games. Um, so so when I came out here for acting, I, I didn't even know that there was acting for video games because also the very few video games that I knew were, you know, like very arcade or FIFA or, you know, Black Ops, anything that's just, you know, you're just playing. But I didn't know that there could be, you know, so much death in a, ga um, in a game where like there's acting involved and there's, mm. you know, there's a bunch of different emotions. I, w I always thought that games were, you know, like single shooters or, you know, just action, but I didn't know that, you know, a, such an amazing story could go into a game. And that's why I was blown away when I, you know, first started working on Life is Strange. Do you remember the audition that led to the role? Oh, yes. I actually remember it perfectly. I remember, um, I remember where it was in the city and I remember uh, the first audition wasn't in the, the actual studio. Uh, it was at a place that it was just, let's just say it was weird. And uh, <laughs> I did my audition and I felt good about it. And I think I did it in front of Timothy. Um, but yeah, they were like, thank you so much. You know, like any other auditions, thanks for coming. And I didn't hear back from them for another like six or eight months. Whoa, really? A, yeah, yeah. And then I got another audition um, for a voiceover thing. And I didn't get like voiceover auditions often. So, you know, when I would get one, it was like, oh, this is a voiceover audition. So I go into the audition 
This time it is in a, in a nicer studio and everything. And I do my entire sides to Phil um, and we're working together. Um, and then when, once I finish, like I finished reading all the material and performing it for him. And then I was like, can I ask you something? This material sounds very familiar. Like, have I, you know, have I seen it somewhere? Is this repeater? And Phil went like, yeah, this is your callback. And I'm like, what? what? Oh, yeah, I read through this already. And I was like, so this was my callback. Can we do that again? <laughs> uh, he's like, no, no, no. And I actually got worried because Phil said, no, 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 I don't need to hear anything else. Just, you know, get out of here. And I was like, oh, man, if only I knew that that was my callback. Um, That's got to be but, heart and my stuff when they're like, no, 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 it's fine. We don't need it. You're like, oh, that could go one of two ways. Yeah, it's either yeah, really exactly. good or it's really bad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I thought that I was still in the audition process for a little while because it is to my understanding that we started recording the game and at least like the first or two sessions, I definitely felt like I was still in a, an audition process. So, and uh, Phil also made me feel like I was in an audition process, even though we were already recording and he was doing it to push me to a certain place. But he kept on telling me that like, you know, I wasn't his favorite guy and that another guy was coming in right after me. Are you nagging him? That, yeah. I'll tell the story. I'll tell the story. <laughs> he, he had already gotten the part. And oh uh, he also, I will say, he, he in large part got the part because of Michelle, one of the creative directors. Mm -hmm. he, Michelle has a really good ear. And uh, I don't get to do what I do without him and the other people at Don't Not. And he's, he's one, of the, one of the individuals, along with everybody else, Raul and everybody else at Don't Not, who are some of the best creative people I've been able to work with. Uh, but they, they heard something in Gonzalo and they really liked him and it was coming close to like two people, one of them being Gonzalo and, and he really liked, there, there was, a, there was a, almost a texture, there was a certain way to how he would say words and, and Michelle, Michelle ultimately made the decision and, and picked Gonzalo. Because um, when it goes to casting, it goes to like the casting directors, Sometimes people involved with that might dwindle it down. Then it ends up getting to even fewer people. And then we mm. might make suggestions and say, we like this, or we like that. Ultimately, it's usually the client that gets final pick. Um, but anyways, so when Gonzalo came in, and I might've told this story before, but first off, Life is Strange is rough. We already know it's gonna have some rough subject matter, but mm -hmm. the difference was Life is Strange 2 doesn't wait until act three or four to like go like it's this right it's, in there it's right in the top and Gonzalo came in unlike his audition he came in in this like nice jacket it was almost like it's almost like this it's like popped up he's like yeah how's everybody doing today yeah so we're recording today and I was like oh no <laughs> like I I knew that there was this subtle air of him like feeling good you know it's like yeah I'm an actor I'm yeah, rocking it and he's jacket, good everything. <laughs> He should feel good. He should feel good. He got the part. But I was like, I have to shut this down quick. Unlike TV and film, God bless the day I get to be on a film set and someone's like, oh, Bill, it's going to be a tough day. Oh, man, we got, set. we got like 12 pages to do today. It's like, that's, really? That's it? Okay. Like, we have to work at such a crazy pace. And we have to get, at times, BAFTA winning performances 
50, 60, 70 lines per hour. There are times in games we're working at 100, wow. 120. The fastest day I've ever had was like 900 lines in four hours, which will never happen again. Uh, but I knew I had to shut them down quick. So I actually came in, I go, hey, so uh, yeah, I tried to pretend like it was a, he was still auditioning for the role and we were just going to go through lines today. So I go, did you, uh, did you get the script ahead of time? And I knew he hadn't. And uh, establish authority right from the yeah. get go. And he goes, what? A scripts? No, I didn't. Was I supposed to get scripts? Aww. Like he starts getting nervous. And I'm like, yes. And uh, I was like, cool, man, cool. Uh, look, there's a guy coming in after you that like I'm a real big fan of. And uh, I'm kind of hoping he gets the part. I don't know what to tell you, man. Just try and, I try am and do what I tell you to. And Is this Hollywood? Had, Is this what happens? It was a tough decision, and I've never had to make that choice before to do something that what I like to call method direction. I've never had to do it that hard, but I knew that it was the first recording, and I knew we were going to immediately be getting in the tough stuff because I had read this, this script, and I knew that the performances in Life is Strange 1 were as great as they were, mm -hmm. and, because, and it wasn't a situation where Gonzalo had the opportunity to kind of discover himself and kind of feel like a little nervous character trying to figure out their way through a high school. It wasn't Life Strange 1. It was Life Strange 2, and it was hard-hitting from the top. So I had to do something to make him feel like he wasn't ready. Like mm. he wasn't ready to take on the world, which is what the character did. And it was a really tough decision. I'm not a fan of like that kind of manipulation, but I remember telling him, you know, eventually telling Gonzalo, you know, what I had done. He was like, you son of a bitch. But, <laughs> but it, it ended up working. And it, it, I will say it was a really tough call. But I remember sitting quietly next to a sound engineer and going, and like almost knowing what I felt like I had to do. And I actually told the sound engineer, I go, mute the booth. Because I didn't want anyone to hear what I was doing. Mm. because I had a feeling people, you know, someone might try and protect them and go, no, that's not the case. It's actually, you got the part. What, is, mm. what does he think? I didn't want that to happen. So I, yeah. So how much of Sean in that first session is, is like, do you have in your head or is it, do either of you have in your head, I suppose, like, cause Phil, I'm assuming you have more of a, of an overview of Sean's arc than Gonzalo did at the time. Uh, a yes for more than one reason. Uh, I, think, I think the reason why I'm able to do what I do to some degree is a lot of my different backgrounds, and one of which being before I even got to college, I would work at a movie theater and I spent all my money or a lot of my money um, buying film books so I could try and learn as much as I could. So before I even reached college, I owned like 30 books on screenwriting. So I can usually pick up copy and know where we are where we're probably going, what's probably going to happen. Like I have a general sense, like I can usually guess pretty well. It's kind of like why film people can watch a movie trailer and go, oh, so then this is going to happen and then this. And it's like they've already watched the film. Um, so I had a sense of where it was going, but the things that I knew were the character had to take on the world, their dad dies, you know, spoiler, sorry, it's out. <laughs> Uh, if you haven't played at least the first episode, why are you here? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, and, and they would have to go and be homeless. They would have to figure out how to survive. It's mm -hmm. like 
it's just like shit we cannot stop stacking the odds against this character mm -hmm. we can't stop pummeling this guy into the ground and being at that age so it was like i just i think that's what i held on to was mm -hmm. you might have a cocky kid who needs to get like shut down quick mm -hmm. you know because like even at the top he's like oh i'm going to a party oh, i'm gonna hang out so that's what i knew uh and how about, how about you, Gonzalo? How much of Sean did you know when you were walking into the first recording session? Nothing, really. I mean, um, you know, the audition was definitely some part of the sides where it was like, you know, when, when the inner monologue of Sean, when it, where he's like, I don't know what to do. How do I tell Daniel? But that never gave me like enough context to mm -hmm. understand what was going on. So when we first started recording, you know, the first couple of sessions, we actually first started with, you know, like the game starts, Sean getting off the bus and having this entire conversation with Lila. So at first I was like, I, I think I was like any other, you know, player. They were like, oh, cool. We're going to go to a party tonight. <laughs> and, and as I was recording, I was like, cool. So, you know, next scene we're going to record is, you know, me at a party talking to Jen or something. Oh, wow. And, and I remember when it got that tough, I, like, I, I looked up at Phil and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh my and, and, and that's when Phil really started pushing me, and that's when I realized what type of game this was and, you know, how, hard, how harsh it was, the topic and everything, and why Phil was pushing me the way that, that he was pushing, because, like, I mean, he did a lot of things that, that at, at the moment I was like, why are we even doing this, but I would walk into, into the studio, you know, with a jacket, a nice jacket of mine, and Phil would be like, no, that looks too good on, too good on you. Take it off. And I was like, okay, but it's, it's cold. I don't know. I don't care. You have to be, you know, tough in there. Okay. So then I would be like in the, in the studio, and I would usually stand like this, like, okay, I'm ready. Next line. He's like, you're standing like Superman. Cut that shit out. Like, I want you, I want you I want you sludged. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was small things that I was like, oh, wow, this actually definitely does change your performance. You know, yeah. saying a line in a, in a power stance, different from saying it, you know, from a vulnerable place. So that's when I was like, oh, wow, this, you know, this voiceover thing is, it's so interesting and so different to anything that I've ever done before. So that's why it was such a like amazing journey for me. I never actually considered that before that your physicality, would, of course it would, it would completely change the way that lines are delivered. It's yeah. very subtle when it happens, but like uh, there are things that people have, like a jacket. Like even I did it. I'm trying to look more professional, guys. <laughs> I put on my blazer, right? <laughs> this is just a facade. So I put, you know, people like he comes in in the jacket. And if you have your jacket and you feel good about it, and it's like you know it's expensive or you know it's nice, it's like you can kind of ride that out. And what I always say is, it's like it's easy it's easy to play Batman when you're wearing the bat suit and you're standing next to the Batmobile and you're working against Michael Caine. That's easy. Doing it in a sound booth, omit of sound, when you're basically in outer space with like as much sound missing as possible and you still got to like deliver these crazy mm -hmm. performances that Gonzalo and some of the other nominees had to do this year. There's that. And also people don't understand you got to move you got to you still have to act people think it's just you and a mic and you going mm. and doing funny voices it's like the way you stand all the time like even in life is strange one uh we gave we gave hannah i bought a dart gun because she was so shy and she was so afraid like of getting to the like hero stuff that i i gave her a dart gun to hold 
so she would feel more powerful and stronger as she would keep going. So it's like, there's just stuff, stuff hmm. like that. And we should say as well that you were kind of lacking the context of it being Life is Strange at that point as well, right, Gonzalo? Like you didn't know oh, for yeah, a while. Absolutely. absolutely, yeah. It was it was a very long while until I knew what we were actually working on. First of all, because the game hadn't come out yet, so mm. it was very, you know, secret. And, uh, and uh, when you audition for, you know, um, a project that's this big or or whatnot, you, it's not like, you know, it's like, oh, you're auditioning for Life is Strange. No. I remember, I think the, the code name was something like Orchid, something like that. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm making an Orchid game. Uh, and I was like, why is it called Orchid? I haven't seen a single flower in the, in the entire like script. But um, it wasn't until like, you know, I found out that Orchid was just a code name. And then I, I kept on insisting, come on guys, tell me the name. And they were like, no, we can't tell you. You're gonna go out and like tell people and you can't take the risk. And I was like, I promise I won't. But it was literally like a month away from, from you know, coming out. And I was like, come on guys, this is not possible. Like this is, we're a month away and I don't know what even like game I'm doing. And I remember, um, I remember one of the sound engineers or, or the assistants to the sound engineers kind of like looked around and it's like, you really don't know what game we're, you know, we're, working on um and phil had gave me the homework of playing life is strange one so that's why they were all like you really can't tell you played the game and um and uh i honestly couldn't tell like i had played uh, episode one and two of life is strange uh, one but i don't know i ne it never occurred to me that you know it was that that i was doing um until they they told me like yes you're doing the the second one to this game and and uh, when i found out i was like oh this is so exciting because like it's not just a game, but it's a, you know, it's a whole franchise. It's a whole world that that's, you know, has a big fan following and, and also like the type of stories that life is strange is willing to tell is, is so amazing to just get to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so what does preparing for a recording session look like for both of you? Cause I mean, I didn't, I had no idea there was that, that amount of lines involved in a single session. That is, that's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. And sometimes sometimes things get cut and sometimes like you know, and and even like other games like like Skyrim we had three or four directors working at the same time in different studios over the course of two to three months at least mm. constantly. And so there's just yeah, there's a lot more things in games. It's not a hundred it's not a 90 page script. It's not a 120 page script. It's like hundreds upon hundreds Jeez. upon hundreds. I think the Red Dead Redemption script they said like was just this like giant mountain. Anyways, uh, it's a good question because sometimes when I'm writing, because uh, I'll write in the script and I'll do my own notes prior of what I, mm -hmm. what I might want to tell him or tap into or what I think they need. Um, sometimes I'll even write like weird things of what I think I could do to to mess with them and uh in there i'll do a lot of weird stuff but a lot of the times what i'm looking for is uh there there's a lot of checks that i want to have happen whenever we record it's like what's the tone of the moment what's the tone of the scene what's what are we trying to do with this act what are we trying to do with this entire thing what uh what does this character need to be feeling now can we hide something that that character wants to say about something else or something in the future there's all these checks but ultimately it's about the tone and what I want the audience to experience at a moment. So sometimes I'll write like, I'm worried about this. I need to hide 
even though he it's a stupid it might be a stupid throwaway line where you just pick something up and me and michelle talk about this a lot like about like can we can we cruise through this line or do we spend time on this line so there might be a small line where someone picks something up and he's like oh that's a drawing of my mom like she was a really good artist we could just go fast but i mm. i sometimes feel like hitting those lines to be like no i got i really i need to hear the sorrow of like your mom's not around like we gotta hide that in there even though it's a it's a small quick line most people are just gonna tap through it mm. right yeah um a crazy anecdote for me was as an actor phil would pick on these like specific lines sometimes that i was like I thought we were just going through lines like, you know, these are not the important ones. These are not like the heartfelt lines. But yeah, I remember, I remember the one simple line that drove me actually to, to you know, uh, take Phil's advice and go to the streets was thank you. And you would think that thank you is such an easy line to say. And, uh, you know, that like, oh, thank you. Okay, next line, you know. But just saying thank you with that like heavy heart of, you know, everything that you've just lived through and experienced, definitely, you know, you can definitely tell the difference uh, when it comes from a real place or not. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, you know, that was on the first couple of sessions where, where Phil could tell that and I still was very new at voiceover. So I still hadn't developed my ear a lot and I was learning from him to like understand what he was trying to get from me and why, why he was doing it, what he was looking for. Mm. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I, it was not to go into the, the, the street subject, but it was actually to go into like crazy anecdote for me was that, um, you know, I would get the scripts ahead of time and I would read them of course, but you know, it's not that you can like, you can prepare a lot, you know, cause you're just going to go in there and, and be inside the booth, not mm. working with any other actors. And one thing that, you know, definitely happened through the course of making uh, Life is Strange is that in the first couple of sessions, again, this was my first voiceover gig and I was really new at it. And I also, you know, English is not my first language. So I would sometimes stumble in many lines. And so, you know, we would have to do maybe 50, 55 uh, lines per, per hour, per, you know, and- Yeah, that's a good day, exactly. But, you know, I would come out of the booth, first of all, feel, feeling exhausted and drained mm -hmm. and, but feeling proud because, you know, we had just done some recording and I was like, how many did we get? And they were like, yeah, you got 30 in the last hour. And I was like, what? Oh. And Phil would tell me, yeah, the kid before you, he got 60. And I remember that was so tough for me because I was like, oh man, like, I'm really bad at this. Like, you know, that was like, sure, I'm ribbing him, ribbing him hard to like, again, feel like, well, yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. have told, you've, you've told me before that you didn't really like Phil when you guys started. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> but I, I actually, to, to you know, close this story, I actually ended up really liking uh, working with Phil and Phil because um, I could definitely tell and notice my growth from episode one to episode five as an actor. Because I remember that day when he gave me, he told me like, the kid, he's doing 80 lines and you're doing 30 an hour. And I was like, man, like, and Phil actually told me like, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep you. Like we, we might need to bring a new actor that can do lines faster because you oh know, there's gosh. only a certain amount of budget to record for hours and hours. And so, you know, I, I'm telling this because by episode five, when we were, you know, when I was really into it and finally got the hand of voiceover acting, I felt really proud because I think it was one day that we, 
I don't know, you tell me, Phil, but we did like a hundred lines or something in an hour. Uh, we've, definitely, we've definitely done that, but like to, to add to your story, a lot of, again, these are the, the things that I felt like, I'm gonna put this, there, is, there are certain projects that I've gotten to work on, be it Skyrim, be it Fallout, where sometimes, for the most part, it's, my, my cousin's lost, I think he was down in the canyon, maybe you can go and find out. Keeper, right? So keeper take, you got it, we're fine. We're on our way to the canyon to find your cousin. Uh, sometimes there are things in those types of games, like the son, uh, when he's older, in Fallout 4, that I got to direct on, and we, you know, we got some really great stuff where, you know, I cried during that session. Like, that's one of the few sessions I got watery eyed on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there are tough decisions I have to make if the game provides it. So, for mm -hmm. example, Last of Us, I think, is the type of game where those people definitely push the actors guaranteed mm -hmm. when we did tomb raider i pushed the actors and life is strange so there were times where specifically specifically gonzalo i pushed gonzalo and i would tell things to gonzalo to mess with him just a little bit um yeah. and it's a it's a tough call right it's like you hear the stories of kubrick and jack nicholson and the shining and it's always like oh yeah that's kind of tough like he was driving them nuts, but it's also like, it's now survived on film for all time. So it's mm. like, I and definitely. It gets you BAFTAs as well, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I pushed him and I would tell him things like that to like get under his skin a little bit and like make him angry. Or if mm. like, if the scene provided, so if he needed a laugh, I'm going to try and make him laugh. I'm going to mm. try and like get him into a different place. And the hard part is the emotional juggling you go from left to right is just is madness like well life is strange i mean there's it's a roller coaster for sean specifically it wouldn't make yeah. it wouldn't make sense to do the same to daniel who i assume is that's roman yeah. is the kid you're talking about right um because you guys didn't record together from what i understand like daniel's very up until a certain point in the story he's very sheltered about what's going on but sean always has that weight on his shoulders so it makes sense that you would want to put more pressure on gonzalo as a result yeah yeah it's yeah. tough and a funny it's story tough. A funny story about applying pressure. Um, I remember this one time where Phil was trying to apply pressure on me and saying like, this might be like the, the most like renowned project or anything that you ever do in your career. Hopefully not, but this might be it. And uh, you know, I don't think you are understanding how, how big this game is or how big this could be uh, for your career. And I honestly did not understand it because I did not understand about the gaming world really mm. but yet. Um, but yeah, definitely, I, I, I could tell when Phil, when the, when the tables changed um, once I, I took his advice and I came back and the funny story is that when I came back uh, from sleeping in the street and I started delivering my lines, like. You're gonna have to tell that story by the way, because yes. there might be some people that haven't heard it and we do need to hear that. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I started <laughs> delivering them, you know, better than my previous session and and phil like stopped and said what did you do i told him what i had done and basically he said oh i see so now that i tell you that you have the possibility of winning a bafta you go out <laughs> and you start killing your lies that's all i had to do to make it like act good Fuck. <laughs> you know? uh, so i was like yeah now that i know that the stakes are really high you know let's go let's do this 
he was like, ah, oh, man, I should have told you about the stakes from day one. Well, he let a fire under you, right? Like, it sounds like that was really the catalyst for when it started to really all come together. But yeah, you've, you mentioned you took to the streets before, but um, just in case people haven't heard that story, um, can we hear it again? Because it is a really great story. Yes, definitely. Well, like I said, Phil was trying to push me to a place um, where Sean was at, and he could definitely tell um, through his ear that I wasn't delivering performances from a kid who has slept on the street. Um, and so he basically, you know, told me that I, I had an experience, I clearly hadn't experienced much, uh, much hardship in my life. And uh, luckily, you know, they, I hadn't experienced hardship like Sean and Daniel do. Um, and he mentioned that I should go out to like the streets one day, just spend, spend an entire day just uh, in the streets and uh, no, you know, no breakfast, no lunch. And I think he told me to take like, uh, either no dollars or like three dollars, which is like, I told you like five to ten bucks, but that has to last you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, so what it would do is it would have him have to fight for like, do I spend it here? Mm. Do I save it? Do I yeah. Pull? Right. So I went out with I think it was two dollars uh, or three, um, and it was all coins, uh, and it was crazy because first of all, when he suggested it and said like, you know, you. You, you're a mama's boy and you, you, you know, you haven't suffered any hardship. I was like, I'm going to show <laughs> you Sticking the knife in there. <laughs> hardship. Um, but so when I took to the streets, I actually I picked the worst day ever. Um, I actually had to do it that day because we were recording, like, I think the following day or something. So I had no other choice to do it that day. And it was surprisingly a day that was pouring down in LA. And it's also surprisingly a day where I had to go to the hospital at 7 a.m. in the morning to get, um, I, I got eight tubes of blood um, taken out of me because I had to do like a blood test that day. And right after getting out of the hospital, um, I, all I, I didn't have my phone on me or wallet. I, I went to the hospital with basically my receipt that I had already paid for my studies and, uh, and the, the six quarters, like I had $3, six quarters. No, that's, anyways. Uh, I remember I walked out of the hospital, it was pouring down, and I was like, man, I feel dizzy, like I, you know, I'm missing blood. So I went to the little store, and I asked how much the Oreos were, because Oreos are my favorite cookies, and uh, they were like, I think $1.15, I was like, man, this is half my budget, <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, whatever. And, uh, and I, I bought the Oreos, and, you know, they, they allowed me to survive a little bit, you know, my hunger and the fact that I didn't have as much blood anymore. You're about to get sponsored I went, by Oreos. I know. <laughs> it's not <laughs> the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I remember that I, um, I just took Phil's advice. And I was like, I'm going to spend the entire day here. Um, and I'm going to take it to the next level. And I'm going to sleep here. Um, wow. Because I, I definitely want to show Phil that, you know, I have what it takes and I'm willing to commit. And, uh, and prove him wrong, you know? At that moment, I definitely wanted to prove him wrong. <laughs> but uh, a lot of crazy things happened. Um, and uh, it was a very, you know, formative experience for me. Mm -hmm. And definitely once I went back into the booth to record and I gave my first line and Phil was like, keeper, keeper, keeper. I was like, man, he was right. I'm feeling <laughs> it. Think Could you tell, Phil? Yeah, the thing is, it's like, I get, sometimes I get in arguments, you know, with, I can get in arguments with clients 
uh, I can get in arguments with actors. I can get in arguments with people. But I think there, I'm a very tough critic, very tough. And but I know that if we even get close to like where I'm thinking, I know we're beating what other people consider to be the tough critics. And it's like you have to do that. You can't make something. There, it's twofold. You can't make something these days. I think. I call our generation, we're the last generation to create mediocre stuff. That's my own opinion. Because the silent film era, there's only so many films that survived that era because we didn't have the logging system in place. We didn't have the library system in place to hold on to stuff. Well, guess what? Now we do. Mm. Now I know that you're behind Netflix shows. Gonzalo's behind on Netflix shows. I'm behind on Netflix shows. The viewers behind on Netflix shows. That's just Netflix. Mm. Think now of not good, but great film, TV, video games, stand-up comedy, music. It's like, there's just so much stuff that it's, there's going to be a question soon as to, do you want to take a chance on this independent movie? Or do you want to make sure you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark before you die? Like, there's just too much great stuff. So it's either get it right, or don't make it. So I'm very tough on like, I wanna make great stuff. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really like making mediocre stuff. And um, so there's that. Um, but also there's a truth to, who was it? Robert De Niro is a good example. Cause Robert De Niro, when he made Taxi Driver, he went out and he drove a taxi at night. He moonlit it. Actors do this, people do this. And it's like, sometimes people might be like, that's crazy. Why would mm -hmm. you do that? And it's like, Sometimes it's better to spend money on doing something else, like learning how to sail, than it is to spend money on an acting class. Mm. Because if you as a human being have nothing to pull from as a human being, I'm going to hear bullshit. I'm not going to hear truth. Versus when Gonzalo went through that experience, you, like you can't write Shawshank Redemption without having been locked in a closet for like, 10 minutes to understand what it means to be locked in confinement and mm -hmm. unable to go anywhere. It's just, you have to know what these things are inherently in your soul for me to hear this like truth. And it's hard, it's hard to put a quantitative thing to it, but it's like, you just know, mm -hmm. I can hear the truth behind something. And when Gun when Gonzalo went through that, um, and because of how fast we have to go, sometimes I have to fake it, right? I yeah. have to do things to an actor that might not be the best thing to do to somebody, but it's like, we have 70 lines and we gotta go. Yeah. And so it's tough. It's like, yeah. Did you know at that time that you, you might be on to an award winner? Like obviously Gonzalo didn't have the prior voice acting experience to be like, oh, yeah. this, this, might, this, might be, this might be pretty big. There are, there's been few times in my life where this has happened. It happened, uh, it's happened with, with three properties. Um, when I finished directing on Tomb Raider, there was a moment at the end where I was like, I start thinking about what we've done. I, I rarely live in the present. Most of the time I'm thinking about the future, I'm thinking about the past. And there's a moment at the end of Tomb Raider where I was like, I, I think we did it. I think, I think we did it. And mm -hmm. then the same thing happened with Life is Strange. Uh, with all the Life is Strange that I've been able to work on. And, um, and this upcoming project uh, that, that I got to work on, we did it as well, but it, it's rare. 
Mm. So what, um, according to both of you, makes a BAFTA winning performance? I, I can, I can go for it. I know. I think I know. I think it's true. <laughs> the answer. You're the director. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, and, and that's the other thing is it's not just me. It's the whole team of Don't Nod. Mm. It's the whole team, like down to like, even, even their camera guys are amazing. Their lighting people are pushing themselves. And I complimented them even on the first game, like, like great work. Like the stuff that they do is on par with the cinematography of major motion pictures, like mm. what they do. And um, I think what, what makes something great is, is a few things. It's the, the first one is Martin Scorsese says this, you have to understand the history of what you're working on. If you don't understand the history of film, if you haven't watched like half of AFI's greatest films of all time, and you're directing a film, what are you doing? Like, mm. what, what is this? You have to understand the history of your medium, let alone other mediums, to, to really judge and base what you're working on. I feel like everyone is putting out movies these days and basing it on what film is coming out with theirs instead of basing it on Lawrence of Arabia, Jaws, E.T. Like, they're not basing it on greatness. They're basing it on, well, I guess I'm okay. I'm not as good as that guy next to me. It's like, that's not the level anymore. Mm. The level is higher. So that's one. Two, being a tough critic. Like, when let's, let's pretend you're in a writing group. A lot of people will be like, oh, did you like my script? Yeah, I did. Oh, it was really nice. It was nice. I hate those. <laughs> I hate those writing groups. I'd much rather be in a writing group that goes, cut to the chase. What sucked? Where did I F up? What's, how bad am I? Like, rip into me. That's the only way you're going to learn. You have to, mm. someone at Disney, some PA, some intern got fired for holding up their hand being like, uh, I don't know if that's what we should do with the new Star Wars film. That guy probably got fired when that person probably could have helped if they took on the role and said like, no, I think we can make this better. And it's mm. like, you need those people. You need tough critics. It's like, if I was running for president, I want a vice president who doesn't like me. I want a guy who's going to walk in the office and go, uh, you're being an idiot. Like you yeah. need those people. And I think the whole team, Michelle, Raul, some of the, like I said, some of the most creative people I've worked with. And then the last thing is finding the truth. Like we've talked about. It's like finding the truth of a scene, a moment, make it authentic. The audience might not be able to describe and tell you why that is good. I can because of my background, but they still will recognize it's not as good as it could be. They probably can't word it properly, but they still know subconsciously this isn't as good as it could be. And tell yeah. what was what was your moment of what was your favorite moment of finding truth in the the process? Do you remember anything in particular? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, um, having come out of the street definitely, you know, helped me shape it. And that's when I realized, oh, this is what Phil has been talking about. And this is the extents that you have to go to in order to, you know, make sure that you're giving the best performance that you can. But I remember when I was on the street, I was, you know, after my small Oreo breakfast, um, I, didn't, I didn't have a, a watch on me, which that, that killed me, not having track of time. Gosh. Yeah. So I was like, you know, my body started feeling a little bit like sick, like, oh, I, I, I need to eat something around, you know, lunchtime. And I was like, it's probably you lunch. You just lost your sponsorship. <laughs> no. 
it's probably lunchtime, but that's when I realized, I thought of what Phil had told me and I was like, if I just, if I just spend a, a day without lunch, like Phil told me, uh, and without breakfast, sure, I'll feel a little bit sick on my stomach, like in low energy, but I won't feel, feel what a person who lives in the street feels at all, because a person who lives on the st streets definitely feels that hunger and that pain once you're, you go 10 days without eating. I've gone a day or two without eating and, you know, it's not, you know, it doesn't kill me. So I was like, this is not gonna, you know, this is not gonna cut it. So, mm -hmm. so since I knew that I wasn't gonna be that hungry in order to really experience that and find the truth of living in the street and being shot in the street, um, that's when I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to beg for food and money, um, which of course, you know, I was kind of conflicted about it because I, I knew that I technically didn't need it or deserve it but it was part of the experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, and definitely that experience was, you know, what changed my whole day in the street when I started begging for food and uh, experiencing what it's like to be a person who doesn't have anything and yeah. is asking for an olive branch. And uh, it's, it's really heart-wrenching to see how very few people are willing to help. But I, you know, I was blessed by angels that day. Um, I met really, really cool strangers that just basically really helped me out. And I felt very, very fortunate. Um, it's that. It's yeah, that. we find, we find it. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you have to know the whole thing. You don't have to know what it means to be hungry for 10 days. But like, once you feel it, there's this thing where it's like, yeah, like when somebody does an effort line, and it's not that big. I go, you made more noise and you were more hurt when you stubbed your toe, you know? Wow. So yeah, like, no, that, that yeah, yeah, I totally felt that. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely, so definitely, I, was, I, I found, uh, and, uh, and it was, you know, smooth sailing from there with, with Phil. Awesome. Before we throw it over to some, uh, some audience Q&As, um, yeah. I just want to ask what's next for you both and what are some of your dream projects for the future? Phil, go ahead. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I think I'm technically allowed to say on, and it's kind of the way I felt when I said there were three projects, there was Life is Strange, Tomb Raider. I worked on Tomb Raider 1 and 2. I didn't work on the third one um, out of the newer ones, the Life is Strange projects. But there's a Netflix animated Transformer show coming out, and I got mm. to direct the performances on that. And I, again, it's robots, and I pushed them very hard. And I will say, some of the performances out of some of those guys and, and gals, uh, I'm hoping that's like some of the best Transformers content anybody's going to get. Uh, the showrunner and the producer, Matt Murray, FJ DeSanto, both were really smart creatives. I think we had good scripts. I was able to get my buddy, Alex Bornstein, uh, Alexander Bornstein, who is a really good composer. He did the music for that, which is killer. Um, so I'm working on that. Uh, I think, so I'm doing that. I'm hoping to see if I can try and reach out to people to try and direct an independent feature film. I'm still directing in, in video games. Uh, but one of the cool things that I did, which I'm really hoping happens, uh, I was the guy who helped the Academy of Motion Pictures Museum get the jaw shark from a junkyard. <laughs> So my hope is that if it's allowed, if by some chance the new uh, head of the museum, Bill Kramer, nice guy, um, 
if there's some event where Spielberg gets to go and see the shark, I just want to, I want to walk up to Spielberg and be like, you said video games will become art when they made people cry. I think I've helped do that more than once. Oh, but wow. If I can just walk up to him and be like, shake his hand and go, thank you, and walk away. Uh, that, that would mean the world to me. Because uh, I'm a big fan of his, for sure. Nice. Um, for me, I, I definitely would have to say that I enjoyed I'd enjoyed so much um, being a part of, of voiceover. And um, I basically, <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to trying to um, work more in voiceover. I love doing the game and I hope I get to do another cool game like Life is Strange where there's a lot of story involved. Um, but I would love to also get my feet in voiceover acting in like shows, uh, animated shows. Um, and uh, I also have a movie coming out pretty soon that I produced and uh, acted in myself called Back to Lila. I'm really excited to show you guys that. And um, last but not least, I'm trying to develop an animated show myself. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah. So, so we'll see what happens, you know, baby steps. But I'm very excited to see, you know, how keeps, things keep moving forward. You've said baby steps, but you've set the bar, the bar very high for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. like, oh yeah, just a casual BAFTA and we'll see what happens next. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully I can keep climbing for that from that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's go to some audience questions. questions. Yeah, yeah audience let's do questions. it. Okay. Um, so Darcy Mears asks, Gonzalo, how do you like pe how do you like people calling you Sean Diaz? Or do you kind of want to <laughs> distance yourself from the character? Hmm, that's a great question. I've noticed that a lot of people have like tied me up to uh, Sean mm -hmm. and uh, basically, you know, at first I'm like, well, I'm not Sean. Um, mm -hmm. But, but the more the more that it has happened, I definitely got felt more involved with Sean, especially because a lot of the fans and the, um, the fans do amazing uh, fan artwork. Mm. And, uh, and uh, they started basically meshing me with Sean. So I like every time that I see those drawings, I'm like, oh wow, I am Sean. You well, you know? did play him live uh, action as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't mind it, but I just hope that it doesn't, you know, box me into, mm. you know, people thinking that I'm just Sean. <laughs> awesome. So David Anderson asks, uh, what was your favorite episode of Life is Strange 1 and 2? For both of you, I think. Oh, that's toughy. You know what I think? Uh, I think for me, it's usually the first episode. Uh, I yeah. like watching worlds unfold yeah. a lot. Um, and, and getting to know those characters, the world, the colors, the feel, hearing the music and like, what is this? Where are we going? Like, I'm, a, I'm usually a big fan of beginning. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one for me. I like the beginning as well. It was one of my favorite episodes to to shoot because there was... Uh, there was just so much uh, going on for Sean's in Sean's head, but I definitely enjoyed you know episode four and five because I just felt like uh, Sean had gone through a character arc so big and so powerful, and I I felt really related to him as well because not only was I depicting you know Sean's arc, but I was also having my own arc as a person and as an actor where mm. I was like, wow you know look how far we've come and look how far I've come. Um, where 
you know, I stuck, this is my first voiceover gig and I could barely put in 30 lines an hour before and now it's episode four and, you know, all the raw emotions are there and now we're getting 60 lines an hour and, you know, we're cruising and we're having all the good time. By the way, by episode, yeah, two or three or um, Phil and I had become, actually, no, by episode one, after, after I came back from the street and, and <laughs> Phil, you know, I told him what had happened. That's when Phil and I definitely started getting along really good. <laughs> episode four and five was really just like, like, like teamwork, you know, it wasn't like yeah. Phil pushing me and, and me feeling, you know, like, oh, I, I'm not wanted here. No, no, no. I knew exactly what he was doing, why he was pushing me. And I was like all on board on it. Amazing. At, and at that yeah. point, I could look at him and be like, you know what's coming. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Episode four's church scene was incredible. Like, I think, um, and shout out to Roman as well, because uh, yeah. he did an amazing job there too. It was, it was really raw. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, such a good word for what I try and fight for is raw. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, question from James Payne. Do you ever watch YouTubers uh, playing the game? And who has been your favorite to watch? Wink, wink. Not that I'm biased or anything. Oh, I, I have to say that you guys from the start have been great. You don't have to uh, say that. No, no, seriously. <laughs> like, when you, you guys, when I, there was a genuine, I could tell. Like, the voice director in me was like, this is genuine. It's not somebody playing it for, like, it was just very genuine and, and how much you guys liked it and watching you guys get ripped apart yeah. time after time and like ending episodes with like, oh. Hey guys. Oh. Um, so I have oh, to you got a ride? Um, okay. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, unfortunately, I have a little emergency that I have to go to. No worries. Um, okay, but cool. thank you so much for hosting this. It was amazing. And uh, I hope that we can keep doing these type of events because I love yeah. chatting with you guys. Absolutely. Agreed. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And congratulations again. Yeah. Thank you, guys. <laughs> How you doing? All right. Fel, would you like to field a few more questions yeah. before oh, the end? By the way, when I go on the people's things, uh, sometimes I'll leave a little almost whatever it is, a semicolon and a right parenthetical for like a winky smiley face. <laughs> Just to be like, I was here, I watched it. Like for the- Oh thing. yeah. I do that all the time. <laughs> there was one recently, first time it happened, there was a Transformers one where I left it and the guy was so weirded out. He was like, who leaves a winky smiley face and comment? Who are you? And then I was like, what are you doing? And I wrote back, I go, maybe in time you'll see. <laughs> you know, maybe when it comes out he'll find out my name and then after that comment he was like you're just making it weirder just stop like <laughs> it's like your version of like your batman and that's he's swishing the cape and just being yeah. going off into the night <laughs> yeah. totally. totally the batman totally. oh there you go <laughs> yeah. I'm right on standby. <laughs> so um a question from james payne have you ever met jonathan morale the composer of the soundtrack uh, if I did, it would have been in passing after mm. Life is Strange 1 for my honeymoon. I got to go to the terrace for a little bit. I was I able think. to stop by, which was a fun experience. That's a whole fun story on its own of me like trying to sneak in the Don't Nod to be like, uh, yeah, I'm here for Don't Nod. And like, <laughs> the guy outside is like, yeah, what okay. works for the game? Anyway, so, uh, I, I might have met him in passing, but I actually don't know if I have. And he did an amazing job. Amazing uh, yeah, job. he really did. The music is such an important, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. along with the performance, it's such an emotional undercurrent to the games as well. Yeah. 
I think with composers specifically also, like a lot of composers these days, like kind of hit moments. I think it's also because a lot of directors, again, probably haven't studied the medium or understand like really great soundtracks, but they're always like, hit this moment, hit this beat. Mm. Which is like, no, you can hide it. You can do little things. And that's, that's difficult to write something mm. that moves someone, but it's hidden in a, in a smart way. And I think uh, Life is Strange definitely can help. So James Payne has a really great question, which was, what was the hardest scene that you had to prepare the actors for? I, I want to say the first stuff. I think the dad dying in the beginning, because it was like, you can't, if that scene was bad, if that scene wasn't done well, people would have turned it off from the get-go. They never would have experienced two or three or four or five. So we didn't have a lot of wiggle room. And mm. I knew that there was a great weight that the actors couldn't see of what they were going to have to have on them, whether you like it or not. You got a million people outside the sound studio screaming at you to get it right. Um, so that was really tough. And I think it was really tough in the church scene, mm. humbling down Gonzalo and then having it sound like he's still fighting to get back up. Like that yeah. Was, that was rough. He was utterly bro like just, yeah, seeing him just yeah. literally getting kicked down and down and down. And then it, you have to put him right, right rock bottom before he can rise up and, and overcome it. It's, a lot. Um, so Tobias asks, or it says, one of my first acting jobs after training was on a video game, uh, Fable Legends, that was sadly never released as the studio shut down. I've always wanted to work in voiceover and in games, but since then, I've never been able to get another audition for a game. Have you got any advice on how to make connections within the industry or to strengthen a CV to get you in the room? Well, first off, I'm a big fan. I really like Fable. Mm -hmm. Like, I still play Fable. In fact, me and my wife, one of the first things we did that we connected on was playing through Fable. So I love <laughs> it. Um, really good co-op games also. Um, it's tough. It's, it's so tough. It's winning the lottery close to every single time. I think you should try and take acting classes to get better. Sometimes people take acting classes with voiceover directors so that they try, like when a voiceover director is teaching the class, I'm teaching a bunch that are coming up in LA. I think some of them are sold out already, but um, it's good to get in front of voice directors because then you might get noticed and then they might be like, you know what, what's your email? I'm gonna make sure you get added to this audition. So that's a big thing. But at the same time, if you go to those sessions and you're not ready and you don't rock it, I'm gonna notice that also. I'm gonna be like, you've got two to three years before I, I even think you're ready again. Like, wow. you don't understand that, like, I'll never say this to him, but it's like, you're someone that needs to go and do all these terrible things <laughs> to, like, get better as a, you know, to have stuff to pull from. So it's tough. The other mm -hmm. thing I'll say is that a game I recently got to help cast for, this just puts in perspective. I got, because the roles needed to be, the ethnicity needed to be mailed, mm -hmm. uh, I broadened out the search because I think that's what you should do properly. When people cast well, it's not like, oh, well, I sent it to two agents. No, I, I had to broaden it out. And we got 3,000 auditions. Whoa. To try and book for about 30 roles, which is still pretty significant, 30 roles. Sometimes mm. in games, it's 10, 12. Um, and among those 3,000, 
about 2,000 of them, or over 2,000 of them, were from uh, open audition acting websites where it was an open call, open audition. I opened it up to whoever wanted to try an audition. Mm -hmm. Out of that over 2,000, I think I sent in three or five people forward wow. as one of my top five for each for different roles. And that just lets you know the numbers. There's yeah. so many people that audition that if you want to know how to stand out as an actor, be good. <laughs> you know, like act, rock it, mm. you know? Yeah, uh, just give it everything, I guess. But keep trying, keep going for it. The thing is, like in VO, everyone right now is like, oh, it's the coronavirus. Maybe I can do voiceover. It's like, no, there's like people who have been putting in the work for two to three years trying to, mm. trying to get there. So it's a long road. So just keep going, but it's a long road. Okay, we are pretty much out of time, but I, I saw a really good last question that I want to throw at you. Yeah, it's yeah. from, Sorry, it's I from, long... <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm <laughs> loving it. It's from Devin Moore. And they say, was there any content cut from the game's original release, such as select scenes or lines that might have otherwise changed the game's narrative? It's uh, secret time. The, I know the, one of the stories that you liked uh, yeah. was from Life is Strange 1. And I think this is when we kind of like, we very quickly trust each other. I, I always like to tell this story, even though it's not necessarily Life is Strange 2. But <laughs> there was a moment in Life is Strange 1 where there was a line and I was like, because again, of me like knowing writing and where story's probably going and me trying to always like guess and pick up the pieces. Uh, there was a line where I was like, is this a line that's gonna tell us that this guy's the bad guy in like episode, what, three, probably more so four? Dead silence from Don't Nod. 30 <laughs> seconds pass, and then I hear Michelle go, um, uh, yes? And I was like, cut it. Cut this line. Please cut this line, because you're going, like, people are gonna figure it out, and I don't want them to figure it out, and I think this is too, like, it's almost too clever it, you know, mm. someone smart will pick it up. And then once one person picks it up on the internet, everybody's got it. Um, so there was that. There were definitely lines that got cut from the game in Life is Strange 2 for sure. There were things that sometimes we would pick up and do differently. Um, I'm trying to think of something specific. I'm not quite sure. I think around Life is Strange 2, they, they had an even better handle, I think, yeah. of what, what they wanted to do. So it definitely happens in projects and games. Um, as much as like whole games almost being recorded and never seeing the light of day, just like Fable mm. Legends. Uh, and I worked on that Dead Island game, I think it was for a while. And content is just surfacing up on it now. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay. oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, <clears throat> it is, we are, we are over time. And I know, yeah. um, unfortunately, we lost Gonzalo there because he had a little bit of an emergency. But thank you so much, Phil, for, um, for coming hosting. and chatting with us today. It has been so much fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, massive. Because I mean, it, it is, it's a win for, for the entire team as, as much as it is obviously Gonzalo's win too. Because it just seems like you guys were really on to something special from, from the get-go with, uh, with Life is Strange too. Yeah, and I, I don't get to do anything unless other people allow me. So it's a big thanks to Square Enix and Dornod, especially. Uh, and also my buddy Tim for allowing me to be a part of the project. And uh, I hope I get to work on more great stuff for you guys. And uh, really appreciate you hosting. And it's been a huge honor that our work, uh, even just to get nominated for work, it's <laughs> like sometimes we're hidden in the dark and people don't understand. 
what we do and like how we're trying to bring great performances through directing and it's just yeah. a huge honor to even be nominated. Well, I did speak to you guys what nearly a year ago, and we did we yeah. did talk about about uh, whether you guys were hoping for a BAFTA win or not, and here we are. <laughs> we're always we're always like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> amazing well thank you so much and thank you to everyone um who came uh to watch this talk and obviously thank you to square enix and most of all bafta as well for having us and we will see you next time hopefully bye bye thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous bafta sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org